Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 485. Um, I want to start today by just saying that I, I want to encourage everyone to make sure the people you really care about in your life know you love them, know they're cared for. Uh, send a text or a, a message to a friend of yours that you really care about today. Or, or maybe just go see them in person. Give them a phone call. Whatever it takes, whatever kind of reaching out you want to do. Reach out to somebody you love today, somebody you care about. Um, this week I lost a childhood friend, guy I played sports with growing up. Uh, he died. And it hit pretty hard for me. It was awful. Uh, death is terrible. And I, I just want to encourage everyone to make sure the people that you care about know they are loved and reach out to people. Go talk to them. Um, also, I I figure, like, why not ask this question? Does anyone – someone – I do read the comments on YouTube especially. Um, and when you put stuff out into the world, enough people listen. Someone's bound to respond with a helpful tip. Um I've been really having – I'd never had panic attacks before in, in my life until this month, and it's happened multiple times. And I've been really struggling with managing stress levels and um, like a pit in my stomach. I just – I get really tense. and I've been really having a hard time. Uh, if anyone has a routine for how they manage stress, any like a little tip or trick or is there like a song you listen to? Is there like a little – rhythm you guys have does anyone have a thing they do and they're feeling really stressed out that helps them relax briefly like you know i i will sit at my desk and work and something will happen and i just tense up and then i need to go take a break and i haven't figured out what the optimal way to calm down is if anyone has any advice please uh write in i would really really appreciate that i think it'd make me more productive um i love you guys i hope you're doing well honestly uh got a good show today we're gonna do some film analysis something that uh, how do I say this in a way that um, I want to be careful with my words here? For the last year and a half, um, I have had a really interesting technical problem when it comes to making film analysis. I was not really able to do it. Uh, I've had basically been running into a wall for a year and a half. I finally solved the technical problem. You guys have no effing idea how happy I was to figure that out. Film analysis is back, baby. Like, for real, the way the channel started, the way the podcast started, the way that it really blew up, the thing that people want from me most, I know that. I'm aware of that. And I've been, I haven't really talked about film analysis very much because I've been like, honestly embarrassed to admit I couldn't figure out how to do what I needed to do and um, I, I didn't want to talk. I didn't, I don't know. I did if I, 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 okay, I'll be honest. I was afraid I was never going to figure it out. I was like, my podcast is going to die because I can't give people the thing they want the most. And I, it was giving me like, just, I, I was like horribly, I just like heart sick. Like, what do I do? I, I can't make the type of video that I love the most. Uh, it's back and it will be back. I'm really excited. I, you know, I, I'm moving at the end of this month and hope, hopefully like, at the beginning of next month is going to be just a flurry of film analysis videos and topics and stuff that you guys – I know I know people want that, uh, and I, I want to make it. And I spent the last four days basically watching Matt Ryan film and diving into Matt Ryan film and making a film analysis video. Uh, I, I'm really excited, man. I'm really – I'm really um, – I'm hoping that people are going to appreciate it. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't, I don't make stuff for you. I make stuff for me. I like watching film. I like taking notes. I like doing that process. I enjoy that. It's my favorite thing to do. I haven't really been able to do that very much in the last year and a half. Not the way I wanted to. I've had this, this we'll call it a technical problem I kept running into. We figured it out. And, uh, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you how excited I am. Enough talk. I don't, I don't like overpromising. I feel like I do that all the time. Uh, I try to share the journey and share the stuff I'm working on, but I feel like the, the reality is that it ends up becoming a a thing that I, I end up not giving people things I tell them I'm working on. Um, 
and you know, I've been talking about doing film analysis for a long time, and I keep running into a brick wall. I will say, let's cancel something right now. I'm not going to do film analysis for the rookie quarterbacks, the guys in the draft. Uh, One guy was drafted, Kenny Pickett, in the first two rounds. The other guys, Matt Corral, third-round pick. You know, Malik Willis is a third-round pick. Desmond Ritter is a third-round pick. Like, I I just don't care enough to do the work, and I'd rather watch um, Justin Herbert film and Kyler Murray film, and Josh Allen film, and Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence, and if I'm going to watch film for like four days in a row to make a topic about it, they better be quarterbacks that I care about, and I I don't care enough to do, um, I I did solve the problem, and I I think I could go back if I wanted to, it feels like a step backward, I don't care enough, I don't think the audience cares enough about it, I want to talk about quarterbacks that I care about, so um, film analysis is coming about quarterbacks that uh, I am passionate about talking about, and, and right now, honestly, that isn't anyone who was drafted this year. Kenny Pickett's pretty good. I think he's going to be a day-one starter in Pittsburgh, but otherwise, like, I, I couldn't give less of a, an F. We'll, we'll call it that. And so let's dive in. I want to talk about Matt Ryan, the new quarterback in Indy. How good is Matt Ryan? What does he bring to Indy? What does the film say? I watched all 17 games Matt Ryan played last year, and I want to start with a high note. My favorite throw Matt Ryan made in 2021, week seven at Miami, it was a play-action pass. He's got a man in his face. He's getting hit as he throws. He steps into it. He launches a 49-yard bomb for a touchdown to Russell Gage. That is high-level stuff. I love it. So I love this throw, and the reason I started with it is to clarify that there still is high-level football left in Matt Ryan. He just turned 37. He is past his prime. Every once in a while, he will miss a throw, and it feels like he's aging. But overall, he's still capable of really good play. He actually moves a lot better than I expected, by the way. I was like, oh, wow. Hey, Matt Ryan actually shockingly mobile who would have thought and after watching the film Matt Ryan is a nearly perfect fit for the Colts offense here is what I expect from Indy next year obviously and we knew this going in way before they got Matt Ryan the centerpiece of the Colts offense is their running back Jonathan Taylor everything starts with him they're gonna run the ball a ton pound the rock and then off of that you're going to see a lot of play action. That's what I expect. And, man, Matt Ryan could not be better suited to run an offense like that. To fake the run, throw the ball downfield, it could not be more perfect. Matt Ryan destroys people with play action. I am very, very excited to watch what happens. You see it over and over and over again. Honestly, uh, the way the Colts are built feels like a better version of Atlanta last year. Matt Ryan was on a team last year that did not have a very reliable offensive line. Indy's going to have a better, more reliable offensive line. And they're going to run the ball well. I can't wait to see him hand off to Jonathan Taylor. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, let's go. Last year, Atlanta's go-to guy in one-on-one situations was Kyle Pitts. Their offense basically ran through Kyle Pitts. When they needed a big play, he was the guy. And there's a parallel in Indy to Kyle Pitts. The guy's name is Michael Pittman Jr. He is a jump ball machine. He's great in one-on-one situations. I cannot wait to see Matt Ryan throw to Michael Pittman Jr. And I really cannot say enough, by the way. The offensive line last year in Atlanta was a problem. Matt Ryan got hit a ton. He was constantly having to get rid of the ball early before he wanted to. or getting hit as he threw. And, man, it was frustrating to watch. So I just can't wait to see Matt Ryan play behind an upgraded offensive line in Indy. It's going to be awesome. Now, Matt Ryan is a fairly safe quarterback. You're not going to see him make erratic decisions and forcing throws into triple coverage. He's going to take what the defense gives him. He's got no problem throwing a five-yard underneath route literally every single play. And... There's a great example of his patience and discipline. Week 12 against Jacksonville. Very first play of the game. Atlanta calls a shot play. They are looking deep, trying to take a big shot downfield. And Matt Ryan doesn't 
quite like what he sees downfield. There's pressure late, no problem. He takes a five-yard throw underneath. And something I think that Colts fans are really going to like about Matt Ryan is that when things go bad around him, he's not going to create a new problem by trying to be a hero. With the Colts this fall, they're going to run the ball heavily, use a lot of play action, and you'll see a lot of short and intermediate routes. Matt Ryan lives off of throws like that. Lots of quick game, timing routes, stuff like that. One limiting factor with Indy's offense next year is that there's not a lot of depth. They've basically got four critical pieces. Number one is the offensive line. Number two is their running back, Jonathan Taylor. Number three is their quarterback, obviously Matt Ryan, distributing the football. And then number four is Michael Pittman Jr., the receiver, catching jump balls and beating one-on-one coverage. You need all four for the Colts offense to work next year. They all need to stay healthy. Offensive line, running back, quarterback, top receiver. If if one of those pieces breaks, I'm going to be really worried. If Jonathan Taylor gets injured, they're really going to struggle on offense. If Michael Pittman Jr. gets injured, who's going to beat one-on-one coverage when they load the box and play man-to-man coverage? If Matt Ryan gets hurt, obviously your quarterback cannot get hurt. They do have Nick Foles. That's an interesting wrinkle. Now, if I had one criticism of Matt Ryan from last year, and, and I don't like criticizing Matt Ryan, by the way. Like, I monumentally respect the guy. But if I had to make one criticism, I would say that his ball location is a little bit suspect at times. He would wrong shoulder receivers often, meaning that he would throw to the wrong side of their body or behind them and get them hit or get them, uh, you know, literally throw an incompletion because the ball is too far behind a receiver. And it was hard to tell, is that an accuracy problem? Or is it possible that maybe he was a bit unfamiliar with his receiving core and was in a new offense and that caused a little bit of miscommunication? I'm not really sure, but regularly you saw Matt Ryan throwing the ball to literally the wrong shoulder or behind receivers. It's hard to tell what caused that, but it was a consistent weak spot in his game last year. Also, I hate to say this, but there is a small possibility that The Colts' former quarterback, Carson Wentz, could be a better quarterback than Matt Ryan this fall. He's more physically capable, Carson Wentz is. And actually, uh, believe it or not, for all the hate Carson Wentz gets, he had more touchdowns and fewer turnovers last year than Matt Ryan. There's a possibility here that um, Carson goes to Washington and plays really well, and Matt Ryan is kind of middling. Matt Ryan is going from a struggling football team to a better team. He's upgrading, going to a better team. I'm excited about that. He's going to have a good defense. He's going to have a better offensive line, a better running game, Michael Pittman Jr. But this also isn't quite like when Matthew Stafford left Detroit, a bad football team, to go to a good team, the L.A. Rams. Matt Ryan is past his prime. But he also still has some good football left. Uh, He's kind of boring, and that's not bad. Carson Wentz was a bit chaotic. Meanwhile, Matt Ryan is going to be a stabilizing force in Indy. He's not going to be a roller coaster of crazy highs and low lows. The Colts with Matt Ryan are going to be very straightforward. They're going to run the ball a lot, have a lot of play-action passes, a lot of short to intermediate routes, and honestly, a lot of checkdowns. And the way they're built, I think that style of play is what Indy needs. Boring might be better. And I believe Matt Ryan is a great fit for the Colts. Uh, By the way, the Colts have signed a veteran quarterback, Nick Foles, to their roster to be their backup. Some people see this as a subtle dig at their former quarterback, Carson Wentz. Remember, he filled in for an injured... uh, Remember... Sorry, Nick Foles filled in for an injured Carson Wentz and won a Super Bowl in Philly. There's drama there. There's history. A lot of people say that moment ruined and shattered the confidence of Carson Wentz forever. Uh, I I, I hear that people are connecting the dots and saying, hey, it's funny. Carson Wentz left, and now they're bringing in Nick Foles. I think there's no correlation, though. I don't think there's a relation here other than this. Uh, I truly believe it's just that The Colts head coach, Frank Reich, is reuniting with a former quarterback he used to work with, Nick Foles. They worked together in Philadelphia. They won a Super Bowl together. 
here's the chaotic thing that would have been hilarious. If you want someone really to screw with Carson Wentz, I, I think it would have been funny if Washington had signed Nick Foles as a backup behind Carson Wentz. That would have been hilarious and chaotic and fun. We didn't get that. So I, I don't know. I just I hear that people are connecting the dots and going, ooh, another place Carson's been. Nick Foles now appears. But they're, they're just unrelated. It's, it's a coach and a quarterback reconnecting after uh, having success together a long time ago. I think Nick Foles is actually a pretty solid backup in Indy, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind because if Matt Ryan gets hurt, they got a quarterback who can stretch the field and play at a high level for a couple games if they need to, and uh, actually it makes me feel even better. If Matt Ryan gets hurt, hey, Nick Foles is sitting right behind him, and he has shown an ability to be successful before, and uh, he actually, Nick Foles might have a better deep ball than Matt Ryan at this point, throwing the ball deep to Michael Pittman Jr. I don't know. I'm actually not, I, I think it's a good move. It's good for everybody. Everybody wins here, and... Uh, I feel pretty confident that the Colts will be okay if Matt Ryan does, in fact, get hurt this fall. Okay, let's talk about the New York Jets. The New York Jets have a brutal schedule. Listen to this. In their first four games of the year, I don't know how this happened. They play the entire ASE North for the first four games. They play the Ravens, then at Cleveland, then Cincinnati, then at Pittsburgh. Bang, 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 bang. All four really good teams. I, I like the Jets. I think the Jets are making progress as an organization. I think they're headed in a good direction. But to start that way, then play week five, uh, Miami, who got better this offseason, then at Green Bay, and then at Denver. Week eight, they play the Patriots. Week nine, they play Buffalo. They get a bye week, and then the Patriots again. So, man, um, the Jets have had a good offseason. They drafted well. They made some good moves. And then they've now been screwed heavily by their schedule. They're probably going to start like one and eight, maybe two and seven at best. Uh, I don't like saying that. The Jets do have an easier second half of their schedule. They play the Bears, the Vikings, the Lions, the Jaguars, and Seattle. But I I am not happy as someone who is, I, I want the Jets to be relevant and good and exciting. It's good when New York sports are successful, frankly. And I I also believe the Jets are building something. They're headed in a good direction. But they got hammered by their schedule. There's no real shot for them to build momentum at the beginning of next year. Maybe the end of the year is going to end well with, you know, the the Lions and the Jaguars and Seattle, and they can build some momentum there. But in the first nine games, the New York Jets play Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and... Josh Allen. Oh, yeah, by the way, a Bill Belichick coach team twice in the first 10 games. Um, good luck. I, 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 I think Zach Wilson could get better. I think that the Jets could be a better team in general next year. But and like I said, I think they really are building something. Unfortunately, though, it's going to be another five, six, or seven win season. And this year is going to become all about developing their young players, trying to challenge their competition can we may not beat buffalo we may not beat aaron Rodgers and denver and gosh lamar jackson and the browns and you know cincinnati but can we challenge them can we make it hard to be beaten I, that i think is the goal unfortunately at this point is not about winning games but about making our, our competition who is really good struggle and making it hard for them zach wilson their young quarterback needs to grow and needs to get better he can do that that's another prime objective for their year but man I was so excited. I think the Jets are genuinely making progress. And this year, I feel is already lost. I'm already looking ahead to 2023. I'm chalking up this year as a, a brutal schedule and, and a year of them trying to get better and developing young players. And Zach Wilson's got to get better this year. It's a huge year for him to grow. But unfortunately, like I said, I'm already looking ahead to the 2023 season uh, with the New York Jets. Now the other team in New York. Uh, The New York Giants had to release their number one corner, James Bradbury. He's a good player. He's been in the league for six years, started in Carolina, was there for four years, and two years now with the Giants. He's only missed one game in the last two years in New York. He's a good player, but they couldn't afford him. The Giants had to let him go. They cut him to save about $10.1 million against the salary cap. In total, he was going to be a 
$1.9 million cap. It. They've been trying to trade him since March. Apparently, the, the trade just couldn't uh, get made. They couldn't put a deal together. And now the Giants are really, really thin at corner. It's a concern for them. They're going to, man, like, I, I think the Giants are the worst team in that division, the NFC East. And having to release James Bradbury was a painful, painful loss. Then, after that, the story got even worse. He signed with a division rival, the Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh. He signed a one-year, $10 million deal. So he plays the Giants twice next year. The Giants got worse by not having him. It's an absolutely brutal turn of events if you're a Giants fan. Uh, Philly keeps getting better and better. By the way, Philly might be the best team in the division. In contrast, the Giants are probably the worst team in that division. They've got questions at quarterback. They've got a secondary they don't believe in. They've got problems at corner. They've got problems all over the field. Um, the Giants are once again rebuilding. Okay, can we ever get both the Jets and the Giants good at the same time? I don't know. I think it'd be interesting and exciting. I, I want that for the league, and I want that for the world of football. Um, but, man, I feel bad for New York football fans. The, the Giants were good for a while. They won a couple Super Bowls with Eli Manning, but it's been slim pickings ever since that. Okay, now, I, another, hey, look, if you're a New York sports fan, you're going to love this episode because we are you know, Jets, Giants. Now we're going to talk about the New York Mets. Uh, I saw a video that I absolutely love. I, if you get a chance, look it up. You can probably just look up Edwin Diaz entrance and find it on YouTube. But the full video is called Edwin Diaz entrance during Mets combined no hitter. Once again, Edwin Diaz entrance during Mets combined no hitter. <laughs> the video is epic and legendary. There's a song playing Narco by Blaster Jacks with two X's and Timmy Trumpet. Look up Narco, Timmy Trumpet. You'll find it. There's this awesome trumpet playing. I cannot um, recreate the song. Look it up. It's amazing. And there's a slow jog. The Mets closer, Edwin Diaz, just slowly jogs onto the field to the beat of the music. And it's, it feels like a movie. It's like so cool. It's cinematic and awesome. And I love it. And it has a almost, um, almost feels like a, like a, something from Nacho Libre or something. Like I'm trying to think of like a moment where it's like a wrestling entrance. It's like, wow, this is like really legendary and cool. And I love it so much. It's one of my, one of my favorite moments of 2022 so far. Like, and an amazing baseball moment. I really, really like it. Uh, oh, and by the way, he did well. He did close out the no-hitter. So look up Edwin Diaz entrance Mets no-hitter. Like, uh, an incredible, incredible video. Highly recommend it. Really made my day better. And I learned a new song that I like as well. Okay, uh, let's now hear questions from the audience. It is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, for a dollar a month, you get access to submit questions on Patreon. If you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. My only guarantee is to look at every single question with my eyeballs. So pick the top couple to read on the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, on top of getting to write into Strong Opinion Sports, you also get to write into my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking. It's a podcast not about sports, about life. Uh, you can write into that one. You also get it a week early on Patreon. So, hey, Feel free to support me on Patreon. It's a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. Uh, please do. You get to write into the podcasts I do. Question number one today is from Jesse. Jesse writes in and says, Zach, I know you love what if situation, so I have one for you. Do you think there is a possibility that the Cleveland Browns are purposefully not trading Baker away? so that the controversy surrounding the topic is drawing attention away from the fact that they traded for and signed Deshaun Watson. Could they be purposefully tanking Baker Mayfield's value, knowing good and well they aren't going to keep him anyway, and just waiting to drop him or trade him for cheap until people don't care that they acquired someone with massive character issues? Would love your take on this. Jesse, I have been hearing people talk for a long time about how the Cleveland Browns are tanking Baker Mayfield's value and intentionally not trading him, and, and, and I haven't understood the legitimacy or the, 
how do I put it? The, I haven't understood how that could be viewed as a good idea that Cleveland benefits from until this moment. So thank you, Jesse. I, here's what I hadn't realized. What are we talking about right now when it comes to the Cleveland Browns? Baker Mayfield. Their backup quarterback. The other quarterback. Their former quarterback. We're not talking, and there aren't crazy headlines. And people make jokes, and you hear things here and there, and uh, it'll be wild when they play. You know, Cleveland goes on the road this year, and we'll play at Houston. That's going to be in, an insane crowd that's going to be angry and have a lot to say, and they better not put any mics in the crowd. Um, but for now, we're talking about Baker Mayfield. We're talking about Jadavian Clowney. We're talking about Chase Windovich. We're not talking about Deshaun Watson and... Uh, by keeping Baker Mayfield and making that a true controversy, they really have distracted people from talking about Deshaun Watson. And if that really was what they did, masterful job. I mean, they they, they have kept everyone's attention on Baker, and it's, it's actually worked pretty well. So, Jesse, good insight there. I like that thought. Zach writes in and says, by the way, he spells his name. My name is Z-A-C. He spells it Z-A-C-H. We're not, you know, obviously different Zachs. Uh, he says, hey, Zach. I've seen a lot of people talk about how the Chiefs have become a lot worse since the Tyreek Hill trade. While I admit that Tyreek Hill is one of a kind, is a one of a kind player who the Chiefs have attempted to replace with a combination of free agency and the draft. I don't believe that a team's success is not tied to a receiver that is nearing his 30s. My question is, why do fans place a lot more importance on wide receivers than is necessary? Hmm. So are our fans placing more weight behind the value of a receiver in the NFL? I don't know that they are. Uh, here's the thing. It's not just football fans that are uh, believing the importance of a receiver. Other teams in the NFL are starting to show that they believe in the importance of a receiver as well. We saw a... Devontae Adams trade. We saw a massive Tyreek Hill trade. Both got big contracts um, on draft day. There were six receivers drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Then another one early in the second round by Green Bay. Arizona in the first round. During the first round, traded for Hollywood Brown. Philadelphia traded for A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown got a big new contract. Um, I think what happened in the NFL is people saw you know, teams. NFL general managers saw that Cincinnati drafted Jamar Chase, a receiver, instead of the conventional wisdom, an offensive lineman, Panay Sewell. They got to a Super Bowl in Cincinnati. I don't know that drafting an offensive lineman would have gotten Cincinnati to a Super Bowl. Drafting Jamar Chase did. They didn't win that Super Bowl, but they were way more successful than people thought they would be. So I think that is the movement happening right now in the NFL. It's a copycat league. People are reacting to what happened with Cincinnati and going, hey, receivers with the rule changes and um, with the way the game is played today, receivers are more valuable than ever, and we're seeing that reflected in how teams are behaving. Now, on top of that, let's talk about Kansas City for a moment. I don't think Kansas City is way worse than they were last year. Like, yeah, they lost a couple players uh, Tyron Matthew, Tyreek Hill. They've also brought in a couple players. I mean, it's not, they're a little worse, but they're not, Kansas City isn't dramatically worse as a football team today than they were last year. They still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have Andy Reid. They made a lot of good moves, actually. I thought this offseason. Here's the thing about Kansas City. The teams around them have really gotten better. Is, is the city of Venice, Italy sinking? Or, or is the ocean rising around it? I think both are actually true. I think, if, I think actually Venice is sinking into the mud in Italy. It's a, maybe a bad example. Uh, a better way, sea level rise is going up, right? The ocean every year goes up a tiny bit. It's not that the mainland of America is sinking into the ocean. It's that the ocean around it is rising. I don't think Kansas City is sinking so much as the L.A. Chargers are way better. Uh, the Raiders got better. The Denver Broncos got Russell Wilson. The Buffalo Bills got Von Miller. Like, the AFC in general got way better around Kansas City. 
and Kansas City got marginally worse. They're not sinking. Everyone around them is rising. So I think, A, losing Tyreek Hill was a big blow. The NFL has shown they really value receivers. Not having him is a big deal. We'll see how Sky Moore does. I'm interested in him. He'll be a rookie. How can he contribute to Kansas City? But also, Kansas City's being forgotten because, like I said, everyone around them has gotten way better. And uh, there are some legitimate questions. People go, hey, can Kansas City really compete with Russ in Denver, Herbert with Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, an incredible receiving core, a better offensive line? Like, I don't know. So we'll see. I'm, I'm really – I think nobody has any idea what's going to happen in the AFC West this fall, especially not with Kansas City. And I have an open mind. I cannot wait to see how they do this fall. Michael writes in and says, am I the only person who is not sold on the Broncos this year? Russ did not play consistently last year, and this year he has to learn an entirely new playbook and build chemistry with new receivers. In a talented AFC, let alone the AFC West, what does Denver's path to the playoffs look like? Hmm. I, I don't think you're crazy to be skeptical of Denver. Denver has a new coach. A new quarterback, Russell Wilson. The other three teams in their division, by the way, Derek Carr, been the quarterback a long time in the Raiders. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is established. Justin Herbert is established. Yeah, the Raiders got a new head coach. But for the most part, like, the division stayed the same and teams got better. Denver is really got a lot of changes. They got a lot of changes happening. And to expect Denver to win a Super Bowl in year one with Russ is a lot to ask, and I don't think you're crazy at all, or or I don't think it's even a problem for you to be skeptical of Denver. The idea that they're a Super Bowl team immediately, I think it's possible, but let's not pretend like they don't have a really hard challenge ahead of them to win their division and get things figured out really quickly. Remember, it took Tom Brady won a Super Bowl in year one in Tampa, but it was an ugly year. They did not get stuff figured out until the very end of the year like Tampa peaked at the end of of that Super Bowl run Denver might have a similar if they let's say if Denver does somehow in year one get to maybe win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson it's going to be ugly and I think some problems early on and some growing pains that we saw remember Tom Brady went through with Tampa and then by the end of the year, maybe they can get hot. And if people stay healthy, they can win a lot. But I, I just, you know, I think they start the year on the road in Seattle, which is going to be incredible. I think it's Monday Night Football, actually. I think they win that game by a lot. I think Denver's much better than Seattle. That's, that's good fortune for them. They get a really good opportunity to start the year. But all in all, if Denver has some growing pains early on, I will not be shocked. I will not panic. In fact, I expect that from Denver this fall. Justin writes in and says, you've talked a lot about being a fan of football and not really having a, quote, team you follow. For me personally, I think it is more fun to have a team to root for. I have followed two teams my whole life, and that makes watching football more fun. What he's saying is he's got two favorite teams in every sport. He's got Uh, I choose a team from each league, the AFC and the NFC, so there is usually something there for me. I'd recommend this to every fan, he says. Pick two favorite teams. Every sport. In the NFL, I've got Seattle and Buffalo. Uh, In the MLB, Justin has Seattle and the Dodgers. In the MLS, he's got Seattle and New England. And then he asks, hey, what are your thoughts on this compared to how you approach watching sports? So I, I think... We all have our own ways of enjoying fandom. There isn't a right or wrong way to be a sports fan. <laughs> you know, hey, whatever makes you happy, right? I, I certainly think that's a, not a bad idea to have a – they're opposite sides of a, a bracket. They won't play each other till maybe a championship someday. Seattle, Dodgers, um, who'd you say? Was it um, Seattle and Buffalo? Yeah, like that makes sense to me. I, I just don't support teams. I I can't support a team. You, you've got no control there. Um, you know, I, I support 
people. I, I root for players. I root for Justin Herbert. I root for Derek Carr. I root for Patrick Mahomes. I root for Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady. I love the people that play the game, and I, I love quarterbacks specifically. I root for players and people. And even within, you know, I, I really, really love uh, Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach. Do I like him because he's the coach of the Dolphins, or do I like him because I like Mike McDaniel, the guy who gives good interviews and deflects questions with crazy answers? And it seem, seems like a guy I'd want to play for who's smart and exciting and energetic and fun. I like Mike McDaniel, the person, not because of his job title. If Mike McDaniel was a head coach in Arizona, in Minnesota, in Seattle, in Buffalo, I would still root for him because I like him as a person, not just because of his job title and the place he is coaching currently in the NFL. Uh, I'm trying to think of a great example of this. When, man, who's, who's a player? When Tom Brady, I, I grew up a massive Tom Brady fan. I, I really loved watching Tom Brady on the Patriots, him, Bill Belichick. It was fun. When Tom Brady left New England, I came along. In fact, I think now, I've said before, I think the Patriots are really boring to watch. Like, I, I, I'm not that excited to watch them. I, I, I think they're a pretty boring organization. But I'm a Tom Brady fan. Uh, so I, I followed Tom. I wasn't a Patriots fan ever growing up. I, I respect Bill Belichick. I like the culture they have there. But uh, if Bill Belichick leaves New England, I could care. I, I'm, I'm not a Patriots fan at all. I like people. Devin writes in, I'm going to fix my hair live on the show. Let's see. What's going on? Oh, man. What do you do? I just have curly, messy hair, and I'm trying to, like, let it just be curly and messy. Um, you know, I got, I'm not going to lie. I, I hung out with some friends today, earlier tonight. I went out to the bar. Um, I think my hair looks awesome every day until I sit down to do strong opinion sports. I don't know what it is. I don't know that I'm, I wonder if I'm like hesitantly styling it. Like I'm scared to mess it up. So I don't do anything to it. Like, I don't know. I know that I went out to the bar tonight with my friends, had a Moscow mule and a BLT, uh, (laughs) and my hair looking awesome. Oh, excuse me. Effing awesome. Uh, remind myself to before Devin's question. Uh, bleep something out. So I, I thought I had a great hair day tonight. I showered before this this podcast. Suddenly my hair looks bad. And I'm like, and, and I, I've been feeling this way every time I record Strong Opinion Sports. My other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking, my hair looks awesome on that show. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because I'm more nervous. I don't know if it's because I feel like there's more people watching. So I have to, I overthink it. I don't know. Um, I just feel like my hair looks bad. But only specifically when I record strong opinion sports, which I'm like, why? Why does it have to be? Why is my life that way? I don't know. Devin writes in, also, let's be clear, I don't really care. Like, I've got a rat's nest on my head. I think it's kind of fun. I'm letting it just be curly and messy, and I I appreciate it. Devin writes in and says, hey, Zach, hope we're doing well. My question today is, if Kenny Pickett shows... In training camp, he can be a day one starting quarterback. Should Pittsburgh still keep him on the bench to learn behind Trubisky for a few weeks? Personally, I'm experiencing the shiny new toy syndrome, and I want to see him out there right away. But I feel like it'd be more responsible to sit him for a few weeks. I'm sure there's some things he could learn before being thrown in the water. As always, I look forward to the next show, Devin. If he can start day one, he should. Kenny Pickett, I mean, in Pittsburgh. You didn't draft Kenny Pickett in the first round to be a backup quarterback behind Mitchell Trubisky. I'm sorry. Uh, if Trubisky becomes the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh, he had better become a star. Like, I, I just have no patience for watching Mitchell Trubisky being the starting quarterback if they've got Kenny Pickett, a first-round quarterback, sitting behind him. I, I think I didn't expect to feel that way. I, I didn't think they were going to get Kenny Pickett. I thought they were going to get Malik Willis, who was going to be a guy that would sit for a long time behind Trubisky. Kenny Pickett is ready day one. I don't think Pittsburgh, by the way, expected to get Kenny Pickett either. I don't think they thought he was going to last that long in the draft. 
I have no problem with Kenny Pickett starting week one. In fact, I expect him to. And I just repeat this. You didn't draft the guy to be a backup quarterback behind Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky made sense when you thought you were getting an underdeveloped quarterback like Malik Willis who wasn't going to be ready for a while. Kenny Pickett's going to be ready, I think, a lot sooner to be a starting quarterback. Same way Mac Jones was last year in New England. Um, so I, I, I'm already kind of – I already am hoping and expecting Kenny Pickett's going to be the day one starter. And if he's not, Trubisky better light it up. He better be incredible. Because if they're close, just go with a guy who's got more potential and you're more invested in. Josh writes in, have you been watching the NBA playoffs at all recently? As a Texas sports fan, I am ecstatic to see Luka make it to a conference championship by beating easily one of the best teams in the NBA. The Eastern Conference has also had a nice sense of old school basketball at the level of physical defense that we've seen with teams such as Milwaukee, Boston, and Miami. Would love to know your thoughts if you have any. Love from South Texas, Joshua. Uh, the Celtics just tied to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the series is now tied 2-2. Two to two. It's great basketball. The East is awesome. Now, out West, it looks like the Golden State Warriors are about to sweep Dallas. They're up three games to nothing. Luka Doncic is uh, averaging 34 a night in the series and still about to get swept. Golden State looks unbeatable. I mean, the Warriors are back. You got Steph Clay, Draymond, uh, Draymond, Draymond, I can't even say Draymond's name, Draymond Green's name. Uh, the big three, Steph Clay and Draymond Green. And then, uh, why am I, I feel like I'm saying that weird. Draymond Green, Draymond Green, Draymond, Draymond. I don't know. I've never ever in my life thought, I've never hesitated saying that before in my life. What the heck? Uh, I think it's just because I don't talk about basketball very much and I, I don't know, word people get mad at me. Um, but to have the big three and then Andrew Wiggins, it's unreal. I mean, the Warriors are going to win the, the NBA Finals. I'd be shocked if they didn't. I like Jason Tatum a lot. I like Jimmy Butler. I'm enjoying I think the East is really fun and exciting. That's been a great series. Um, and I, I would like to see Jason Tatum and, and the Celtics or Jimmy Butler and, and Miami challenge Golden State. I just don't think they will be able to. And I think Steph Curry and the Warriors are going to win another NBA title. Okay. Final topic of the day. I buried this at the end for people who want to skip it. You can. We're going to talk about Formula One. If you're not interested, sayonara. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day. If you're here for Formula One, welcome. Stick around. Let's talk about some racing. By the way, I saw electric scooter racing today on Instagram. as like, you know, one of the reels. Uh, more entertaining somehow than motorcycle racing. I don't know how that's possible. I think it's because I felt like I could relate to that. I can't relate to driving a Ducati super fast, you know, over 100 miles an hour around a track. I just, I can't do it. When I watch guys electric scooter racing, I'm like, hey, hey, I can see myself and my friends doing that. Wow. That's, that's fun. I like that. I, for some reason, it really captures my eye. If you haven't looked up electric scooter racing, check it out. It's like a, it's a dumb, fun thing that exists, and I'm, I'm here for it. Now, on Sunday, we had the Spanish Grand Prix in Formula One. It was a really entertaining race. There was a lot of drama. Early on, right at the beginning, Kevin Magnuson and Lewis Hamilton made contact with each other. Um, they had to pit. They found themselves in dead last at the back of the pack. Lewis Hamilton, by the way, recovered. He got all the way back up to finishing P5. And uh, one driver of the day, well-deserving for Lewis Hamilton. Fun storyline. I love that. Great drama, really interesting and fun to watch him climb back up. Uh, Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen both spun out uh, in succession on turn four. Two laps apart, Carlos Sainz spun out lap seven. Max Verstappen spun out on lap nine. That really hampered their race. It gave, um, you know, Charles Leclerc pulled way ahead. Way, he was like 11 seconds ahead of everyone else. He had a massive, comfortable lead. Carlos Sainz should have won this race in Spain easily. We also, by the way, got this amazing battle. On lap 24 was really the peak of the battle where Max Verstappen and George Russell, you know, George Russell was in second, Max in third. They were wheel-to-wheel racing, battling. George defending Max. He couldn't get his um, DRS flap open. So, uh, you know, Max, the, the drama was heightened because of that. 
They were battling for second place. It was intense. It was super fun. I, I think it's the first time I've ever really seen a true great battle between Max and George, and I hope we get that for years to come. Like, wow, great racing, really fun. I I always knew George was a good driver, but I, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching him in a Mercedes prove himself every single week. Um, then suddenly the race took a turn. Charles Leclerc, the Ferrari driver, lap 27, lost power and had to retire. Shocking, out of nowhere. It was brutal. He had a massive lead. Charles Leclerc should have won this race easily by a lot. And unfortunately, that result suddenly put Max Verstappen and George Russell in a battle for the lead of the race. I mean, Charles Leclerc, you, you know, he had victory yanked out of his hands in such a sad way. And in all, here's how things turned out. Here are the, the way the race uh, played out. Max Verstappen got first and won the race. Sergio Perez came in second. He also got fastest lap. Uh, to round out the podium, George Russell, the Mercedes driver, got third place. Carlos Sainz got fourth. Lewis Hamilton got fifth. And after starting dead last, P20 in his home race, Fernando Alonso moved all the way up the pack, 11 grid spots to finish P9, and uh, good for him. He recovered well from the bad, you know, starting at the back. And I'm really, really happy for Fernando Alonso. Red Bull got maximum points on the day for them. And I want to just take a moment to really appreciate Sergio Perez, the, the true number two driver for Red Bull. He had the lead and he gave it up to Max without any kind of a fight. And... Max Verstappen is the leading man. He is the world champion. He gets all the glory for Red Bull. Let's acknowledge, though, you have to. Sergio Perez has done a ton in the last year and six races to help Max Verstappen and help Max Verstappen become, frankly, a world champion. He wouldn't be one without the efforts of Sergio Perez helping him along the way, defending off Lewis Hamilton last year, letting him pass. I mean, in Formula 1, especially last year, the year that Max won his world title. The margins are and were so small. You have to acknowledge, like, Sergio Perez has played a critical role in the success that Max Verstappen has had in the last year and six races for Red Bull. And honestly, you know, also before Sergio Perez came to Red Bull with Daniel Ricciardo and Alex Albon, he wasn't getting the support he needed. Sergio Perez needs to be given respect. Max wouldn't be world champion without Sergio Perez's help. They're a team. Sergio Perez plays a valuable part and a valuable role in Max succeeding. He just, he's a great teammate. He deserves a ton of recognition. And I, I just, hey, a round of applause for Sergio Perez, the number two driver for Red Bull, who doesn't get the love and recognition he deserves, in my opinion. Max gets all the glory Sergio Perez does a lot of dirty work to help Max win and help Max succeed. And I just think that um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that uh, it's unfair. I'm, all I'm saying is let's acknowledge it, right? And that, that's all we should do. By the way, people hate when I say this. I, I think it's fun that people get mad at me because technically it's true. Max Verstappen has won every race he has finished this year. He's won four races. You know, he's five for five, actually. If you include the sprint race, it's hilarious. People get mad at me for that. I love it. I think it's funny. Uh, technically, it's true. Now, he's needed luck to do that. Uh, if Charles Leclerc hadn't had power failure, he would have won this race in Spain. But uh, kind of funny to me that Max, 4 for 4, won all four races that he hasn't had to retire from this year in 2022. Here are the driver's standings after Spain. In first, you got Max Verstappen with 110 points for Red Bull. Then second, you got Charles Leclerc with 104 points. In third is Sergio Perez with 85 points. Fourth is George Russell with 74 points. Fifth is Carlos Sainz with 65 points. And sixth in Formula One, the driver's saying he's got Lewis Hamilton with 46 points. In the team or constructor standings, Red Bull is in first with 195 points. Battling them for first is Ferrari with 169 points. Firmly in third, Mercedes has 120 points. They're not really in striking distance necessarily. Uh, uh, first, they're also way ahead of the fourth-ranked team, McLaren. Uh, although, if the top two struggle, they've had re reliability problems, whatever, Mercedes appears to be making better. There's a lot of races that it's, a, it's 16 races left in the Formula One season. So 
Mercedes certainly um, is not out of the running. It could make a late charge to push the other two teams at the top, but they've got to start getting it in gear. And uh, in fourth place in Formula One right now, McLaren has 50 points. Fifth is Alfa Romeo with 39 points, and sixth is Alpine with 34 points. Shout out to Lando Norris. He got P8 while he was sick and had tonsillitis. Uh, good for him. P8 in that scenario, really hard. And Danny Ricardo is looking worse and worse. Their number two driver in McLaren, he just doesn't have the pace of Lando Norris, who beat him easily, even with a lot of bodily function problems. Uh, by the way, Charles Leclerc's en- engine failure uh, has been learned that it was the power unit. And there are 16 races left. He only has two power units left he can use. You get three during a season. If you have to use a fourth, you have to have a grid penalty. Uh, by the way, he was already using, um, he was already on his second set of power unit components. Part of the, how do I put this? Um, he was on a set of, a second set of power unit parts. And basically, he's only got one fresh power unit left for the rest of the year. Uh, he's got one fresh one and one that's got partially used components. So to have 16 races left and be expected to use only one more fresh power unit and then another one that's lightly used, I think at some point, Charles Leclerc is going to have to use a fourth power unit this year. And uh, that's going to hurt him. It's already becoming – someone sent me a message earlier today. They're like, look – this year is quickly becoming a year of what ifs for Ferrari, where they have had a lot of good opportunities, a lot of good pace, and they are. It's really getting concerning that they're not going to be able to win, and they're going to always look back and go, "Man, we had, we had a really great car, and we underachieved in 2022." Next weekend is Charles Leclerc's home race at Monaco, which mostly comes down to qualifying. It's pretty and fun to look at. It's a big event, but. There's not a lot of overtakes. It's not actually great driving, and I'm really curious to see how things play out. Uh, all in all, though, Red Bull's now got a firm lead, and Ferrari's now got a firm lead in Formula One. And uh, Charles Leclerc and Ferrari took a massive hit this past weekend in Spain. And uh, I, I, we'll see how the year goes, because it's been a fun battle so far. Six races in, been a blast. There's a possibility that Max wins his second back-to-back world championship, which would be shocking. I mean, he... They've had reliability problems. Max Verstappen was screaming. He was so angry when his DRS up flap wouldn't open. And I think, frankly, his anger hurt him a little bit and got in the way of him being successful. And he's got to manage those emotions. But um, to see Max maybe win a second world title is something I didn't expect. And uh, I just all, all I'm hoping for is a good battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen and a good battle between Red Bull and Ferrari. Um, and we'll see how things play out the rest of the year in Formula One. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.